Amen. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. I do want to remind everybody of our Christmas for Christ pledges. Uh, this, this church uh, is a giving church, and I'm so thankful that that is something that is Im- embedded deeply in the culture of this church. Uh, and uh, so far, over $5,000 worth of pledges has come in, and I'm thankful for that. And I would just encourage you uh, in the next couple of weeks, if you are at all able to get in those pledges, uh, and we will honor those and we will send that off at the appropriate time. And we are here uh, in, in large part because of the blessing of Christmas for Christ in the early years of Jesus Church. And to think that there might be a church somewhere in this great country that we are able to bless, somewhere in this, in this country right now are a, a young pastor and his wife, just like Bishop and his wife were about a decade, a little more than a decade and a half ago, needing outside finances just to make ends meet. And you guys get to be a part of keeping the lights on, keeping the doors of a church open so that the gospel can be preached. That's a privilege. That's a privilege, and I'm excited to be a part of that. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Say, I'm a steward. Moreover, it is required in stewards, and all of us just admitted We are stewards, and so this verse has a requirement for us, and that requirement is this, that a man should be found faithful. Ladies, this is not a verse that you get to dodge. He's referring to humanity. Uh, A human being must be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. Now, these next couple of verses are not our main thrust for tonight, but they are uh, rather interesting. uh, And so I didn't want to just cut them out. Paul goes on to say, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. It is interesting to me that Paul did not even trust his own judgment of himself. In another rendering, he says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean anything. Because I don't even trust my own conscience in this matter. It is God that will judge me. Uh, It is possible for us to have a clear conscience and be in the wrong. Just a consideration for you today. All right, flip over to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive, that is, Jesus Christ. 
I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. Uh, I, I, I do like the fact that though the church in Smyrna was financially poor, Jesus took the time in this, in this speech to them, in this prophecy over them, to pause and remind them that they are, in fact, wealthy. Financially, they, were, they, they didn't have two nickels to rub together. But in the spiritual and in the eternal sense, they were rich, and he wanted them to know that. He says, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shalt cast some of you in prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Tonight I want to teach on this thought, becoming faithful. Becoming faithful. Faithful can be a challenging word to define. I asked a friend for his definition of faithful, and immediately he sent back full of faith. Thank you for that. All right. Well, we're really getting somewhere there. But it means more than that. It has a broad and uh, overlapping meaning with several other words. I, I do think that faithfulness or the, that quality of somebody who is faithful is more easily noticed in its absence than in its presence. You will more quickly notice when somebody is unfaithful than you will they are faithful. By its very nature, faithfulness denotes the meeting of the standard, the fulfillment of the expectation, and so we expect people to be faithful. It is a character trait that we all want in all with whom we interact. I actually rewrote that sentence so it didn't end in a preposition. Aren't you happy for us? That's probably the last time I'm ever going to do that. How many want your spouse to be faithful? If you're not married, you want your future spouse to be faithful. It is an expectation that you have for them. It is something that you almost take for granted every day until unfaithfulness arises. Then all of a sudden, that crisis helps us to recognize the value of someone who is faithful. To be faithful within the marital covenant would be to be true to the vow and performing the promises that we spoke on the day of our wedding, in sickness or in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worser. And the Lord knows we have all awoken on some of those days when it was for worse. Don't look at your spouse right now. Don't do it. We've all awoken on some days and it was faithfulness 
that kept us moving forward. We want our government to be faithful. Uh, Our government should honor its treaties, its obligations. Just a random example, the Social Security Trust Fund. I would really like them to be faithful in their administration of these funds that I am paying. Uh, Well, I'm only paying them one time per year, and it hits like a a wrecking ball. But we're, we're paying into this fund that is not likely to be there because of poor stewardship. Faithfulness entails loyalty. It is one who is true to their allegiance. It also speaks of fulfillment of duty or the following of the commandment. To be faithful could also refer to someone or something being a true representation of the original. Now, I asked the same, or no, I asked a different friend. Uh, it, we were, we were kind of talking about this, and I said, have you ever, uh, now, nobody in here has ever had this experience, uh, but I asked him, have you ever read a book and then watched the movie adaptation of it, and they're like two different things? Now, the friend said no, and I said, wait, is it because you don't watch movies or don't read books? <laughs> To be faithful is to accurately reproduce the the trait, the qualities, the the things of the original. The movie is faithful to the, the, the reference of the book. Moving off of earthly examples, then let's look at spiritual examples. Faithful people... Allow the Spirit to recreate the nature of Jesus Christ in every aspect of their lives. Faithful people desire to be the true representation of the original, that is, Jesus. To look at a faithful disciple is to look upon a a, a measure of the character, upon the nature, upon the very attributes of Jesus Christ himself. Faith itself is a firm persuasion, a belief in God that informs every one of our actions, decisions, choices, all of our attitudes, every area of our life. Faith is believing that he is who and what he proclaims himself to be. So faithfulness springs from this faith. When I am faithful, I'm acting in accordance with my faith in God. My actions are aligning with my belief in his character, his purpose, and his will. Being faithful is only valuable if the object of your faithfulness is worthy. There are people that are more faithful to their bar stool than many Christians are to their Jesus. You can be faithful to things that are not worth being faithful to. You could make every single Vikings game of every single year and the only thing you'd be doing is wasting your money. 
because they ain't ever going to win a Super Bowl. And even if they got there again, they'd find a way to lose it. So you might as well put your faith in something that is going to last and something that is going to stand. We read 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. How many, I ask tonight, would enjoy having a steward in your home, one who is entrusted with the care of your home, your finances, and the well-being of your children? How many of us would enjoy having a steward who is not loyal and is not worthy of trust? then how do you think God would feel entrusting you with blessing, entrusting you with truth, and entrusting you with real riches of souls if you were not loyal, not faithful to the original pattern, and not worthy of trust? Again, faithfulness is something that is often more easily recognized by its absence than its presence. Now, you're all here on a Wednesday night because you're faithful to the house of God. You're demonstrating a desire to draw closer to him. It's not just language, it's action. It's not just head knowledge, it's feet moving, it's hands that are aligning. It's coming into an active alignment with the plan of God. I want to read a parable from Matthew chapter 25. We've got a couple of parables that we're going to go through tonight. And I am going to do my, here we go. Are you guys ready? It is 728. We're going to do this by 8 o'clock. Okay. Matthew 25 and verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them goods. Okay, Jesus is clearly setting up the fact that I am going away for a while, but I will come back. Uh, if, if you're missing it, we're the servants. He's the master. He's going away for a while. He's called us to him, and he delivers unto them his goods. By the way, he did not leave us here destitute, broke, and powerless. He gave us everything that he owns. Well, he placed in, in the care of the church truth. He placed in the care of the church uh, power and miracles and the miraculous. He gave us great blessings uh, and the ability to advance his kingdom. And so unto the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them five other talents. So how many does he have now? That was a worryingly silent moment. Ten. He's got ten. Don't worry, that's the highest number we're going to use so far, okay? So... Everybody but me has ten fingers, and so you're going to be golden. And he that had received two, he also gained other two. 
But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. So he that had received the five talents comes and brings forth the other five talents, saying, Lord, you gave me five. Look, I've gained five more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. How many want to hear that? I want to hear that. And so the two-talent individual is like, man, he just got a blessing. Lord, here's your first two talents. Here's the other two that I gained with them. And his Lord said unto him, let's read verse 23 together. It's the same verse. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. This is pretty exciting. The master is happy with his servants. Now comes the one with the one talent. And he comes and he says, Lord, I knew that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where you have not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went and I hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. Let's pause for a moment and just put a pin in the fact that the master lost nothing other than the potential of earning. And his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Therefore take the talent from him and give I lied. Give it unto him that hath the ten talents. How many does he have now? Okay, perfect. You're going to have to borrow a finger from a neighbor. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he, that, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which is he hath. Now watch this. And cast ye that unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't this, how, many, how many have heard that before? Does this not still seem unfair to you? It's okay to admit it. I, I read this and sometimes I'm like, man. The first two servants were deemed good and faithful. Now it is important that we understand that they were still called servants. He doesn't say good and faithful Bible study teachers, though that is, that is I, I can guarantee you, a part of the definition of good and faithful. It's not good and faithful pastor, not good and faithful worship leader, good and faithful prophet, good and faith. It's good and faithful servant. Knowing the nature of the master and the calling of their responsibility they began to do 
what was expected of them. They grew what was entrusted to their care, just as the master would have had he been there. They were deemed faithful not by not losing, but in the gain that they brought to their master. Now the third received the least from the master, but he was not delivered from the expectation of increase. None of us in this house will have the ability to stand before God and say, well, I wasn't as talented as so-and-so, and so I didn't do anything with it. The, the expectation, it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. And Jesus gives us some of the definition of faithfulness in what he's looking for from his servants. Your talent or lack thereof, does not excuse lack of growth for the kingdom of God. To every man according to his several ability. The Amplified reads it as this, to each in proportion to his own personal ability. The uncomfortable reality is, is that there are five talent individuals. And there are one talent individuals. But all of them could have heard, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We could flip the script as well. We could, Jesus could have easily told this parable where it is the one with the five that has so much talent that he's scared to lose anything that belongs to the master and he's the one that buried it. We could read the parable like that. The expectation is that we take the things that God has given to us and humbly begin to press forward in the kingdom of God so that God through us can see growth and can see multiplication in what he has provided to us. There's an interesting comparison. Good servant, wicked servant. Faithful servant, slothful servant. And so faithfulness in this parable denotes a loyal execution of the expectations or duties of the steward. The master replies to that one talent individual, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, thou oughtest therefore If you knew, why didn't you do? If you knew what the master's expectation was, his question to us is not why did you fail, but why didn't you do? I I almost believe the master would have been a little bit more accommodating of a servant who tried and failed than a servant who refused to try at all. If you knew, why didn't you do? The expectation of faithfulness for you and I is not merely going to be our level of head knowledge. It will very much entail the level of obedience in our life. 
The tragedy of it is, is that you could sit in a Wednesday night service for the next 50 years if the Lord tarries and receive sermon after sermon, lesson after lesson, verse after verse, read your Bible through from cover to cover until the pages fall off. But until that word becomes something that motivates change and it motivates obedience in your life, you are not living a faithful life. The word must work on us until we become an accurate representation of the original. We are faithful. We are true to the calling of the original. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 7, Aaron and Miriam are rebelling against their kid brother because nobody's ever done that. How would you like to have your baby brother be the one selected by God to lead you? It's like being, it's like the pastor being the youngest person in the church. And God goes to bat for Moses. In Numbers 12 and 7, he says this, My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. In the New Living Translation, it renders it this way. He is the one I trust. To be faithful is to be someone that God can trust. In the Amplified Classic, it says he is entrusted and faithful. Why was Moses considered so faithful by God? Because Moses so accurately represented to the people the nature, the attributes, the characteristics, and the desires of Jehovah. Until he didn't. In Numbers chapter 20 and verse 9, it starts out well. Reading now from the New Living Translation, it says, So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come together and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? It is at this moment that Moses departs from faithfully following the commands and the voice of God. God is wanting to sanctify or to appear holy in the eyes of the people. He has spent nearly 40 years leading this people through the wilderness. The original generation saw a staff hit a rock, and that rock begins to gush water. But God's relationship with them is changing. He's trying to change their viewpoint of him. And so he has commanded Moses, this time speak to the rock. But for whatever reason, be it frustration with the people, be it his own humanity, Moses is frustrated and he yells, listen you rebels, must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. Let's pause for a moment and just say public demonstration does not demonstrate private obedience to God. God blessed his people 
but still had to deal with the leader who had failed. And in verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough. You know what he's saying in essence? Because you did not deem me faithful enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land that I am giving them. What was God's constant complaint of the children of Israel in the Old Testament? They were his unfaithful bride, lusting after false gods. God was always faithful to his covenant. In fact, he went so far as commanding the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. Everybody wants to be a prophet of the Lord until that word comes in your private devotion. By the way, if you get that word, let's please, let's pray about that together. Let's check that out. Let's, okay, you're not Hosea. But he has the prophet marry a prostitute and puts him through hell of a demonstration of God's pain at his own unfaithful bride. Psalm 119 and verse 90 says this, Thy faithfulness, speaking of God, is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. I am so thankful that God is ever faithful. He is ever trustworthy. He is ever sure. He will never change. He will never alter. His nature will not shift. He is not capriciously going to decide one thing this day and a different thing that day. Jesus Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We have the greatest demonstration and example of faithfulness in God himself. But you and I are human. And sin itself is rebellion. It is a, a choice to be unfaithful to God's commands. Now we live in the New Testament under a new and better covenant. But whether or not we've considered it, there are covenantal obligations that you and I are bound by. When you took the name of Jesus on you, you went down in the waters of baptism. You entered into a covenant with Jesus Christ. He gave his life for you so you could give your life to him. If you didn't know, that's the deal. You can, you can have your life back, but you can't have Jesus and your own life at the same time. So you have a choice to make. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13, it says this, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. It is so deeply ingrained in the nature of God, it is impossible for him to deny or to change or to move away from or to alter or shift his own faithfulness. Amen.
Okay. Is this, is this sinking in a little bit? Okay. Again, sometimes this is more easily seen by its absence than by its presence. Luke chapter 12 and verse 35. Let's, let's read another parable of Scripture. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. Okay, so here's a great example of how can I become faithful. Here's how you can become faithful. You can do what the Word says. Why? Because I'm trying to be a faithful representation of the original. I don't act how I act because I'm trying to be better than you. I don't pray more because I'm trying to be better than you and holier than thou. I'm simply trying to be the best version. I, I want to be just like Jesus Christ. I want to be faithful to his example. I want to be faithful to his calling. And so he says, let your loins be girded and your lights be burning. Be alert, be awake, be ready. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. That when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Let's just imagine this. Have you ever been locked out of your own house? And somebody was inside your house? Even worse, it was one of your children inside your house. And you're like, let me in. What's that? I can't hear you. It's like there's a switch that hasn't quite flipped in their brain. They can't figure out why dad is outside yelling, let me in. That, that's, that's where the master's at. He's on his way back from a wedding. It's late. He wants to get to the door of his house and he doesn't even want to have to knock, but the servants are watching, and they see the master coming, and they throw the doors wide open for him. That's his expectation. That's what he desires of his people. And so it says, they may open unto him immediately. Look at verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, this is a curious verse of Scripture, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. If that's not a, a, a change of pace... In other places in Scripture, Jesus, you know, he, he talks about the expectation that when the servant comes in from the field, the master still says, look, make me dinner and then you can eat after that. But in this scenario, the master comes home and because the faithful servants are at the door with a torch in hand ready for the master to come home, the master decides, look, you go sit down. I'm going to gird myself. I'm going to whip you up something to eat. You sit down. I'll serve you. And if he come and find them in the second watch or in the third watch, by the way, that's the middle of the night. If he finds them in the middle of the night and find them so, blessed are those servants. Again, he's communicating to us expectation of behavior and lifestyle. And so if I want to be a faithful steward, a faithful servant, I should be paying attention to what he's saying right now. To be faithful would be for my life to be lived ready for the master to come home at any moment's notice. 
When the master comes home, there won't be time to quickly gird your loins and light a torch. He'll be outside knocking on the door, waiting for somebody to let him in. But those faithful servants are going to be ready, watching, and waiting so that the moment that Jesus comes back, our hearts and our hands will be wide open to him. And so know this in verse 39, he says, that if the goodman of the house had known at what hour the thief would come, he would have watched. If you knew when you were required to be faithful, you would be faithful. If you knew what day your spouse was going to be unfaithful to your wedding vows, you'd make sure that you followed them and you, you, know, you had a connection that day. Maybe that's too plain of an example. I don't know. And so if you knew when, you would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken through. But of course you don't know when. That's the point of a thief. He sneaks in. He steals when your guard is down. And so he says, be therefore also ready, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? That's an important verse for us. Is that just for the 12 or is that for us in 2024? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Everybody say, doing. Again, faithfulness is linked to you and I doing. It is inextricably linked to doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, here's how we can more easily recognize this unfaithfulness. My Lord delayeth his coming. And he, he begins to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken. Okay, clearly that's unfaithfulness. And hopefully everybody sees that. You're like, wait, no, I don't get it. Okay, that's unfaithfulness. That's not the expectation of the master. You're not meeting the standard. And so at an hour when he is not looking and when he is not aware, the Lord will come back, will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Man, these parables end in some pretty serious ways. Could it be that Jesus is not just talking about stewards, he's talking about eternity? It's a simple story about a steward, but it always ends with eternity. And here's why. Well, let's finish the last two verses of this, and then we'll go back to that thought. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, thou knewest, thou oughtest. That servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. 
And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Okay. Let's look in Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. Why is Jesus using simple earthly examples to demonstrate eternal principles? Here's why. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? We talked about this a little bit on Sunday. In our pursuit, our desire for righteousness, our desire to be of a right standing with God, for our lives to be pure and blameless, we've got to be faithful in the little. Your home matters to God. Your job matters to God. Your marriage matters to God. The way you handle your finances matters to God. Your obedience, now we're getting bigger, to the written word matters to God. Well, I believe in God. Great. But are you being faithful to what the God of the Word asked of you? You see, if, if, if I can't be faithful in the little, I won't be faithful in the much when the moment comes. So why spend so much time on this, much of Sunday and all of Wednesday night? Because evidently, faithfulness matters much to God. He expects us to be faithful even unto death. So what then are we faithful to? We are faithful to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God. And we must do what He says consistently and cheerfully. As the writer says, we must obey from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered to us. If faith necessarily contains obedience, our faithfulness springs from that place of obedience. To be faithful does not require you to have a feeling. The Word says it, I do it. Whether or not I feel convicted about it, whether or not it's ever even been preached over the pulpit, the Word says men should dress like men and women should dress like women. Okay, I do it. Whether or not I feel anything about it, I walk in obedience because I want to be a faithful representation of my Master. I tithe... Because the word declares that that is God's plan for financial blessing and for financial obedience. I don't need to feel a thing about tithing. 
Can I tell you that a lot of times when I'm putting my tithe in the, in the plate, I don't feel all that joyful. But I do feel faithful. And I'm going to keep doing it whether this flesh wants to or not. Why? Because faithfulness is required in a steward. And I must live my life by the manuscript that my master has given me. The list of instruction, the list of his... It's a love letter more than it's a list of instructions. We have a special relationship with the master. And I want to be as much like him. I want to be as true to his desire as I can possibly be. And so I obey out of a faithful heart. What if your marriage was based only on feelings? I didn't feel like being married today. I'm not talking about myself, okay? I I very much felt like being married today and yesterday and probably will tomorrow. Because the Lord blessed me with the most wonderful lady in all of the world. How am I doing? Am I doing okay? All right, good. Have we recovered? Or should I stop digging? But what if your marriage was based on feelings? That faithfulness wouldn't last very long. You get in an argument on your way to work and all of a sudden, you're like, eh, I don't feel married today. He's the king, he's the Lord. He's the master, I'm the steward, and at the end of time, it will be discerned whether I've been a good and faithful steward or whether I've been a wicked and slothful steward. Now, I don't know about you, but I saw what each of those was rewarded, and I know which one I want. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I'm, not, I'm not trying to be faithful to my kingdom or to my plan or to my purpose. I'm trying to be faithful to his kingdom, his plan, his purpose. It has nothing to do with me and my ideas and how I feel or how I think it should be run. The master set forth in his word how he wants me to live and it's up to me to be living in accordance with his handbook for me uh, because the day's gonna come when he comes back uh, from a wedding feast and you better believe uh, me, my Bible, and my torch. uh, I wanna be at that gate waiting for him to come home uh, and I wanna hear him say, Jared, you've been true. You've been faithful. You've been what I've wanted you to be all along. So be true. Be sure. Be steadfast. Let your yea be yea. Let your nay be nay. Let your yes mean yes. Let your no mean no. Do what the scripture says. How about be faithful to the house of God? Because scripture commands you to be faithful to the house of God. You know where you ought to be on Sundays? The house of God. Like a good, faithful steward. What about Wednesday nights? House of God. Like a good, faithful steward. Amen. I am trying to accurately portray the example of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to be loyal to the one who gave so much for me. He purchased me with his own blood. How in the world could I turn my back on that? 
how could I, how could I shift away from that? No, I want to be true and I want to be faithful to Jesus. Let's all stand together in this place. One final verse and I'm done. Literally one verse too, not even a whole parable. We almost made it, 802. If everybody stood faster, we could be done already. <laughs> it was a joke. It's all going to be okay. You can faithfully bludgeon me later. Hebrews 10 and 23 says this, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. I know you believe and I know you have faith, but are you faithful? I don't mean full of faith. I mean, are you loyal? Are you steadfast? Are you trustworthy? Are you an accurate representation of the one who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light? When people look at you, do they get a faithful picture of Jesus Christ? I can't answer that for you. The trick of it is, even if your conscience is clear in this moment, that don't mean nothing. It is God that is going to judge us. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather get as much of that judgment out of the way on this earth while I can, while change can be made. He has been so faithful to me. Why would I not give that back to him? If you want to grow in 2024... I mean, we could have at least come up with something that rhymed. Then you must maintain a faithful spirit, an available spirit, and a teachable spirit. And if you strive for those three things, at the end of this year, you will be able to look back over your life and see dramatic spiritual and personal growth. It's impossible that you wouldn't because you are conditioning the soil. You're opening yourself up to the sun and to the rain, to the, the elements that you cannot provide. You're allowing God to begin to move in your life. Why don't we lift our hands in this place and ask God to help us in this realm. Lord.